Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I am MJ Peters. All right, MJ, we have discussed copy on this show quite a few times, um, mostly because we we work in we worked or work in manufacturing, and we have encountered some brutally bad copywriting in our time, um, including several instances where I'm on trade show floors looking at collateral, or I go to websites, or I have clients I'm looking at, and we're auditing it. And whew, there's some bad, bad copy out there. But um, I had a post on LinkedIn earlier this earlier this week regarding one such word that I hate more than any. Um, and it, I didn't get 100 percent, you know, opinion behind me. I had one couple people push back and I was like, that's fine. But I just don't think it's correct. So it made me think that it would be kind of nifty to talk about just common language traps to avoid in your marketing copy. And then you wanted to take that and uh, you want to take a left and a right turn on that and come up with some examples and some use cases in which you can apply um, lessons from avoiding those common language traps. Yeah. So um, this episode is about how to kill your vanilla industrial marketing messaging um, and replace it with something better. Um, First, I actually want to pontificate about the root cause of this issue a little bit. And I think one thing that's at play in industrial is um, it's so much harder to articulate the message in a way that is technically accurate in industrial marketing, right? Like a lot of the time you're, you're a marketer, you have to actually like spend some time to understand what this product like actually does. Does, yeah. B to C, certainly you don't have that problem. And in SaaS, I think a lot of the times the, um, the concepts are more familiar just the product itself um, in terms of its function may be less complex, right? So I think yeah. a lot of marketers in industrial, like they understand what the product does, they articulate that and they're like, I'm good to go, right? No, yeah. you got to take three steps, right? You got to, you know, most people only have to take two steps. You got to take three because you're an industrial. You got to understand what the product does from a technical perspective. You have to put that in your copy, but then you have to revisit that copy and make it like very compelling um, and not just the same vanilla messages because every industrial marketer out there is talking about productivity, is talking about downtime. Like, so linking the feature to that benefit and not going the extra mile and you know making it hyper relevant is going to just make you sound like every other competitor in the marketplace. Right. I think one of the root causes of this is it's a follow the leader mentality. And so there's a lot of mid-size and small-size industrial companies who look at the major, major players in their space, and they just do a lot of mirroring. They mirror a lot of the language that a lot of those companies use. Well, guess what? Those are the biggest players in the space who have incredible reach, brand recall, market share, and frankly, budget to get those words out and, and use it. I mean, there's one such example that I can very tangibly remember um, from my time in welding. It was a robotics integrator, and literally their tagline was "productivity win the race." And I was just like, you know, it kind of sticks, but then it's, it kind of drove me nuts after a while. I can't even remember who the company was anymore, so it shows you how much recall I have from them. But, um, but I think by and large, it's that. And then I also think it's a lot of people in product management um, or product marketing who are not strong copywriters and industrial companies, and hence do not have more unique ways to describe downstream benefits 
um, aside from the pretty classic tropes that I'm going to rattle off here in a little bit. Do you have any, do you have any, uh, any response to that? Yeah. Um, I think there is basically three, three levels of effectiveness when it comes to messaging. You've got the bottom of the barrel, bottom tier messaging, which is features, 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 mm-hmm. snore, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then there is level two, which is benefits, right? A little bit better, right? But um, it's not hard to go from level one to level two. You just have to know that you can't slam people with features and then you, you think about the benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is that in industrial, like there's not actually that many benefits, right? You're either increasing output, you're decreasing downtime, like you're going to rattle these off in just a second. But like, mm-hmm. What you realize is most of the features inevitably create all the same benefits. Benefit, yeah. Which is why to differentiate, you need to reach level three, which is like very specific benefits backed up by social proof. So let's list off some of these level two benefits that you don't want to get stuck with. And then we'll take everyone through two ways to get from level two to level three. All right. I have eight here that I listed off. Um, there's probably a few more. These are these are the main ones that I mean anyone's going to run into and almost everyone's going to use in some way shape or form. Productivity. All right. Reduce downtime. Reduce maintenance. Lower maintenance costs or anything about lowering costs in general. <laughs> lower operating costs, lower inventory costs, lower consumable or spare part costs, like all all of those. Lower lower x costs, just insert insert whatever cost you reduce. Um, increase efficiency. Um, increased service life, which is just, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Um, ROI, which, you know, how are you going to show ROI or prove ROI? And then throughput, which is another one I love too. Like what does throughput even mean in reality? So these are the, these are the classic benefits I hear all the time. And they're just so commodity. They're as commoditized as most of the products that are, that describe them, right? <laughs> I mean, there's just, there's nothing there that stands out. And if I read that copy, I either don't believe it. It means nothing to me. Um, there's just there's just no reason for me to ever act on someone making a claim like that. So um, I would say these are all words to avoid in your copy almost, almost universally. Um, if you're going to use it, have something very tangible to back it up, um, like some any sort of uh, performance data you have that's like maybe independently verified, like 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 you partnered with an academic institution to kind of showcase how a certain feature of your product works. That would be cool. Um, you know, um, something with social proof or a case study with a tangible business outcome. Another another cool thing, or a customer pull quote or something like that. Uh, that would also showcase maybe that benefit in a way that brings it to life a little bit more. Again, tangible business outcome tied to it. But those yeah. are those are the main eight that I would just eradicate from your copy in any way, shape, or form you possibly can. Yeah. The only one I would add to that is safety. Safety. Okay. Okay. Safety is good. It's a good benefit, but it's like not specific enough uh, to, to differentiate. Health you and safety. Care. Yeah. Health and safety. Yeah. Health and safety. Yeah. That's true. Cause like we, I've, we've sold products before I've sold products in my life that had health and safety benefits, but you know, if you're not going to explain how the health and safety benefit happens, um, very tangibly, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't really mean anything. So you know, again, it's nice to have some social proof uh, behind that, or or if anything, maybe something you 
did collaboratively with a with a academic institution or a trade organization or something third party, right? Yeah. All right. So, so I wanna I wanna um, take people through what you should do instead, right? Okay. So it's all well and good, like, hey, don't do this stuff. What should you do instead? Uh, we've got two approaches that we're going to take you through. One, I think, is more appropriate if you're like ready for a brand positioning overhaul, like company-wide messaging. The mm-hmm. other is like something a product marketing manager or a marketing director, marketing manager, one-person marketing team at an industrial company can do themselves in like six to eight weeks. So like depending on where you're at in your company, you know, choose which one you want to go with. Like maybe you start with the six to eight week version because it's the path of least resistance and you use that to get buy-in for the full company messaging overhaul. But Matt, where would you like to start? Do you want to start with the top down or the bottom up approach? Let's start with the bottom up because I think it's going to be more, it's going to be more immediately addressable for the audience who wants to make small changes and see if they can get good impact from it. The, the top down one is definitely a more expansive effort um, that we can, I can, I can touch base on. Yes. Um, okay. So um, we were at Firetrace and uh, we wanted to uh, focus, really double down on our bread and butter business in the US, which was uh, machining, right? Protecting precision machining equipment from fire. Um, and let me just set the stage of the before. So the before. Uh, if you look at our website using the Wayback Time Machine, which is a handy little tool if you want to see previous iterations of websites, um, we weren't even addressing machining specifically. Right? We had a section of the site that was called Industrial Fire Suppression. Right, so almost immediately, like this machining group, which is a very specific piece of piece of uh, the market, was getting lumped in generally with industrial fire suppression. So how are they supposed to know that it's relevant to them? Like industrial can mean anything. You know, so step one was like, let's create some messaging that's really for this customer. Like it needs to be more specific than just industrial. So step one is get really clear about the segment that you're going to serve. So uh, continuing on this path of the before states, I'm going to read to you the messaging that was on this page before. For industrial fire suppression, Firetrace is ideal for protecting equipment that it carries an inherent fire risk. In commercial and industrial spaces, this might mean electrical hazards such as relays and switchgear, telecoms, server racks, machinery uh, that that businesses rely on to produce, package, or transport their products. Firetrace has a long history of protecting these assets. However, uh, this list is not inclusive. The The uses for Firetrace are limitless. Contact Firetrace to discuss your hazard and see if your business can benefit from the elevated safety of a Firetrace system. So a couple of issues here. Um, First of all, it's listing off a laundry list of different applications. So it immediately says, we don't know who we're selling to. We're selling to everyone. And that's going to turn the customer off. They're like, if you're selling to everyone, then this can't be that important for me, Hmm. right? Then the other thing is the elevated safety of a Firetrace system. What does that mean? Like, why should I care about elevated safety? Like, maybe I don't need to elevate my safety. I'm good, you know? Um, so we needed to address that. Matt, I'll pause there because if you have any additional thoughts to add on the before state of that copy. I just thought, I mean, you're trying to, you're trying to serve everyone. And when that happens, you end up serving no one. So there was, it was very, it's very little specificity there. Elevated was definitely an interesting word. 
to use in regards to safety. But uh, no, I don't really have anything else to add beyond what you had uh, what you had stated yourself. Yeah, the other one that comes up there is um, is the uh, we have a long history of doing this. Like you should buy from us because we do it a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see that a lot in in industrial messaging. Um, and yeah, I don't I, really think that does anything for anybody, right? Like you're 40 to 50 or 75 years. I mean, it doesn't, I don't really, yeah, that, I don't think that sways people really much in terms of track record. I think what you've done in the last five years matters. I mean, look at Path Robotics. Path Robotics is a startup company and they're the integrator that everybody wants to work with in robotic automation right now. And, you know, no one, no one heard of them five years ago. You know what I mean? So it's much less about how long you've been in business and it's much more about, how much you're inter- innovating on your delivery model um, in order to make it easier to buy from and easier to scale whatever it is companies are trying to do. Like, so I, I, I think it's I think your years of experience by and large don't buy you a lot of equity with, especially people who are working with you for or looking at you or betting you for the first time. I, I would say it matters more with longstanding customers or maybe people who uh, are maybe closer or are, are, are farther along in your sales funnel. But I think in terms of getting people in to uh, a, an initial call, I don't really think it sways people much at all. Yes. Um, okay. So unfortunately, the um, the specific copy I wanted to read off for the after state, they've actually changed it on they the have. website. So they have different copy on the website now, but I'll tell you um, the exercise we went to to rewrite it. And, and in the background, I will try to pull it up from the Wayback Time Machine as well. But first, so first we decided we're going to focus really on this specific customer segment of machining. Next thing we did was I, I personally went and visited eight customers at their place of business who had already purchased from us. And I asked them a lot of open-ended questions, right? Like, um, Tell me about when you first purchased Firetrace. What um, you know? What was that process like? Why did you evaluate this as an option? Um, and I heard a lot of interesting things, like, "Oh yeah, you know, we actually had a fire, right? And it happened at night, and um, you know, it burned up the machine. It like caused a bunch of smoke damage in the building. Like the insurance costs was 145 K total. This is how it broke out. Like, obviously he didn't just say that after the first question, I had to like dig layers deeper. (laughs) Um, You know, you ask an open-ended question, tell me about, you know, how you came to the decision to purchase Firetrace. Um, They might tell you about that fire they had. And then you ask follow-up questions and be really curious, right? Like I love just the simple phrase of, Oh, that's really interesting right? Because you don't even have to reply to what they're saying. You can just say, oh, that's really interesting. And they will continue to elaborate, right? You're looking for as much detail as possible here. So you do that, you do that eight, I mean, you could do it like five times and you get enough data. I did, I happened to do it eight times, eight different customers. And um, then I went and organized what I heard and you can, there's lots of different methods, product marketing frameworks for organizing the insights from these calls, but I like to organize it around um, jobs, pains, and gains, so what statements, what did the customer specifically say that indicates what their job is? So this is where you might get into things like productivity, uptime, things like that. Uh, what, what are some of the pain points in, um, in their course of achieving that job? And what are some potential like um, benefits or, or extra great outcomes if, for a job well done? You know, mm. 
Um, I actually think jobs and pains will get you most of the way. Like if you I, find, I especially think pains pains will get you there. People are way more interested in solving their problems than they are in trying to improve something they're fairly satisfied with. Like totally. You know, like if you can tap into a problem that is a constant thorn in their side, and you can communicate how you solve that compellingly without using some of these, you know, language traps. You can you can capture a ton of demand doing that alone. Well, <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know, um, jobs is a big one because I think this is where we don't get specific enough, right? So, um, a lot of people just make the assumption that the plant manager's job is to maximize productivity, right? And that's what yeah, gets not. to these second level benefits, right? Um, make the effort to understand what, how that person would describe their job in their own words, because I doubt that they're going to say maximize productivity. Yeah. Like what, what are your goals at your job? What are you graded on? You know, and it's probably like, you know, making sure that products get assembled and shipped on time. It's it, but they're not going to describe it as productivity, right? It's going to make sure, make sure I have enough inventory to cover, to cover orders. Uh, It's going to be developing um, bills of material in order to, you know, launch new products or doing pricing for these new products or, you know, coming up with one-off, specialty orders or, or stuff like that, you know? So like, they will never describe their job and their goals and how they're graded in the, in a way that your marketing copy probably describes. It's funny in that way, right? It's like what you graded on. And then they also want to be responsible for doing product marketing for their, for your market. And you'll rarely see them use, describe it the same way they would describe it to themselves. Right. Which is kind of ironic. Yeah, totally. Um, and so there's a couple of key things that I uh, picked up on through these eight interviews. Um, the first one had to do with jobs, uh, which is we were just assuming productivity, plant manager, ops manager, whatever. It turned out that like a lot of our, biz- our, our ideal customers were like smaller businesses where the owner was actually making a lot of these decisions. So the owner's job is not productivity. The owner's job is to get customers and then keep them. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like that's a business owner, right? Um, and big pain point, like major pain point. If you have a fire and you're down, your customer's like, cool, I'm going to go to the shop down the street. That's a huge problem, right? So that was that was the pain point, not like productivity or less productivity or less downtime, right? So you got to be specific. Like, yes, yes, we are preventing downtime, but really we're preventing downtime and we're preventing you losing a customer, right? So we use that message of like, you know, a five, even a, you know, every second of uptime counts. Like if you're down, that can cost you a valuable contract or customer, right? So, so that's kind of how we started to build our messaging. The other super interesting um, thing we picked up on is we actually visited a, or we talked to a larger, more uh, sophisticated manufacturer. And that person told us that they have Firetrace implemented all over the place. And um, they've gotten their process down so that they, if they have a fire, they can get the machine back up and running in 45 minutes after a fire, which is like incredible. You think of a fire as this crazy, insane event. So the fact that you can know that, you know, it's possible to get to the point where you can have a fire and then get back up in 45 minutes, you're like, okay, fire is like no longer a problem that I have to worry about all the time. So that, that 45 minutes is that level of specificity we were talking about earlier, Matt, where it's like, that's great that you prevent downtime, but be specific. Like, so we were specific in that um, before fires got you down for months and uh, you know, now get your machine back up and running in as little as 45 minutes. 
Yeah. So we and- built like eight, eight sentences of copy around that. And it took it from elevated safety, which means next to nothing to like really compelling and specific for that industry. Tangible guarantee, right? Like, you know, if you have your processes, right, obviously there's still other factors there, but we know because we have social proof that someone can do it in 45 minutes. And so you could too, if you have. Okay, I, found, you know, I loaded up the copy in the way oh, back. Oh, you found it. Okay, go, let's go for it. Uh, we had the before elevated safety. Now, you have a lot of money invested in your machines. Not only that, but in today's competitive environment, uptime is everything. Losing even a day of productivity can mean losing a valuable contract or customer. Precision machine shops can't afford fire damage. That's why over 15,000 shops have decided that they aren't taking any chances. Unlike traditional fire extinguishers, fire trace systems activate automatically and suppress fires in seconds. That means your machines are safe and you can get back to running your business in as little as 45 minutes. Okay, so I want to comment here because I can already hear it from a listener. Like they use the word productivity in that sentence. Yeah, you did, but like it was not what you led with whatsoever. It was simply... It was simply um, like signposting to describe even deeper, like, okay, here's how it works. Here's here's some, you know, here's some tangible benefits from it. And then here's some social proof. 15,000 machines have used fire trace systems. So you were able to like productivity was almost an afterthought. It wasn't like, oh, productivity, like doesn't mean anything. It's like, no, it's productivity with a tremendous amount of detail and specificity behind it that engendered a lot of confidence that you know what you're talking about and you can promise productivity because you know you put you put some you put something you put some weight behind that right yeah and we even like you know we talked about features at the beginning of this uh, of this episode like technically we also talked about features like we, we they activate automatically right that's a feature right but um, it's probably not the feature we would have led, led with if we went out to write a list of all our great features, right? Because mm-hmm. activating automatically is, I mean, technically it's a feature, but it's like kind of the function of the overall product. But what we came to realize through interviewing customers is that they don't care about the, you know, stainless steel, uh, you know, fittings that have 360 PSI pressure rating. Like nobody cares about that. They don't know what it means. They just care that it activates automatically because yeah. that provides the benefit of you get back up and running in 45 minutes. Right. And it can work while they're not there. Well, so you can run your machine overnight if you have to and rest assured that if something happens, it's going to pop automatically and you're going to get you're going to be able to rescue that machine and and keep it up and running. All right. So I want to switch over and let you have the floor and talk about uh, the top down methodology. So that was the six to eight week week version. Right. To recap, pick a specific segment, interview a bunch of customers, organize jobs, pains, gains and then write copy that ties together some of the most critical parts of that. Um, now let's talk about high level company positioning and, and how you might tackle a bigger project like that. Yeah. So, um, so my example is from the medical device field, particularly it's medical device outsourcing, or I mean the, the base term of that is contract manufacturing. And so I, I won't name the, 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 the company it's, it's a client, but you know, they do that and they were interested in, you know, Reject like when we talked about he, he he was very interested. The CEO was very interested in redoing the copy on the website because it was not specific enough. It wasn't it wasn't communicating enough truly what they did and what the what the depth of their technical expertise and service offered. And also, just in my opinion, when talking to him, I said it doesn't reject you what you face and you face 
you know, very big white, large box contract manufacturers without technical expertise who either don't give you the level of service if you're too small or if you're, um, or if you're like kind of growth stage, they can't, they won't scale with you as you grow. They won't make investments in, you know, um, capital equipment and stuff like that to allow you to get from startup to growth phase to possibly the acquisition down the road. Um, it's a very sticky sort of service because the cost of switching is really high because of FDA clearance reg- uh, regulations and uh, and compliance that you have to you have to work with. And so we started by just starting with, well, what do you what do you do now? And so you know, contract manufacturing was how they would describe themselves. But I'm like, but you do so much more than that. You're naturally not a contract manufacturer because you are um, because you're, you're big in that. So what do contract manufacturers do? Well, we give you peace of mind, you know, or we, you know, or we, we, we ensure quality. We, you know, we're, you know, we're responsive. We have, uh, you know, we have white glove service and like none of these things are actually necessarily true. when it, when, as he felt when it came to their market. And so we decided, well, this is what every contract manufacturer says. So what if we just turn this on his head and we didn't even really describe you as that at all. What if we talked about what you really did and what you really are is end of line product commercialization. So you take a medical device design and concept that is prototyped and you do prototyping and you basically do commercialization, you product commercialization for medical device companies. And so this is sort of what we led with. Now that's not something that's, that's not something that's necessarily going to be SEO friendly, but it is definitely something that is going to, I think speak more to what their ideal customer profile is looking for when it comes to a service. And we validated this through customer interviews and and discussions with their own subject matter experts. And so, you know, we moved away. I mean, we use the word contract manufacturer in a couple spots just so it's crystal clear for anyone glancing at it, but it's like we're turnkey outsourcing partners for unique challenges of growth stage medical device and IVD diagnostic companies. We were big champions of who we help and how. And this is where your copy gets really important. And this is why the voice of customer stuff matters because we do this research and we talk to not just the CEO and the director of operations and and others like that. We talk to customers in both segments here, IVD diagnostics and medical device. And these were the problems that we knew this company solved for them. It's, you know, anxious about missing product launch deadlines. Um, Want to focus on the resources on customers and not manufacturing because they want to be a customer focused organization. Worried about product quality risks, not just product quality, but the risk of product quality, which means a recall, which means you're back to square one. Um, worried that they won't be able to ramp up production. Frustrated with current suppliers or concerned that large contract manufacturers are not a fit. And so they definitely want to wanted to lean more into the boutique sort of service and then solving the problems. And so we get specific about how we solve problems for these exact kind of issues executive level project coordination that has the resources to get the job done, dedicated project team that is accessible and responsive, a project plan that blends both manufacturing and regulatory requirements, a path to scale up and cost reduction, documented path to scale up and cost reduction, and then excellent technical support geared geared to solve problems quickly. And so, no, definitely just trying to be more specific regarding who you help and how and exactly how you do that. And then we get into the differences. Like you want to face status quo and status quo is large contract manufacturers. So we do this with 
deep technical knowledge, relationship-driven service, and real scalability. And so we really tried to avoid some of the language tropes that we talked about, like customer service oriented. Like we, customer service is a played out word. Let's use the word relationship-driven because that's much more people are looking for from their partner. They want a relationship with them, not just great customer service, right? And so when you have a relationship-driven service, like we stake our claim on collaboration, you'll have an executive sponsor and a program manager who's empowered to get things done on your behalf. And so we certainly lean into that. And this was a constant feedback from the best ideal fit customers that they had. They were like, their customer service and depth of technical knowledge were just were just so far and beyond what we were experiencing prior. They helped us navigate FDA, uh, FDA requirements that we didn't know existed, helped us get our 510K done. And so we want to make sure we lean into all of these things much more uh, on the forefront. And so you'll see this sort of, this is like the main about us page that you'll get uh, as a, um, as a uh, like primary CTA plus like whatever um, value proposition that we're going to be driving. And so markets we serve, we may be a fit if you are XYZ. So you say growth stage medical or IVD diagnostic device company selling single use products. So very niche down. Uh, unhappy with your current manufacturing solution. So just speak to that pain point. Require high levels of service, need to scale with quality, want a cost reduction path to plan on. And so those were the things that we leaned into. We have not launched this copy yet. I'm very excited to, um, yeah. but we've done a lot of work over like six months to do it. We're like pretty much about to, about to get started getting it launched. So we really wanted to move away from what they were saying. And what they were saying on their homepage was, I won't need the company, but X company delivers. Medical device companies deserve an outsourcing partner they can depend on, which it's again, it's not, that's not very compelling copy. It's just sort of, it's very bland, doesn't really compel action, doesn't speak to a specific problem. So we wanted to get much more tight with the language that we used and much more focused and, and reflect a lot of the voice of customer work that we did, which is why I'm super excited to launch this. Go ahead. What I love about that in particular is that you got way more specific about the problem that they solve and so it allows you to talk about their services as a solution as mm -hmm. opposed to a commoditized product. So like you moved from contract manufacturer, which in my head is like, even if they're being specific about medical devices, like still contract manufacturing is like, when I need to reduce the cost on a part, I go and bid it out to a bunch of contract manufacturers. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's just, it's a very anonymized process, right? <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's cost versus specs versus quality, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's very, and I mean, contract manufacturing is known to be like a very competitive game, right? Yeah. So, yeah it's, it's a race to the bottom. It always is. Yeah, yeah. And you guys moved this client out of that by saying, actually, we are specialists in go to market. And that resonated strongly with me, right? Cause my background is in, is in product management, like go to market is a nightmare, right? And so You've keyed into a pain reliever, right? Where it's like um, when when you're trying to navigate the complexity of go to market, like picking your contract manufacturer is like one item on a checklist of like a thousand items. And but if it goes wrong, it's going to torpedo your entire product launch. So like having that partner that has this white glove service and like you can you can tell from the messaging that they've got a process right they're gonna hold your hand and shepherd you through this and yes you're gonna get your cost reduction eventually but like it makes sense that there's like a transition period as you ramp up and scale into cost reduction right and right 
And so then as I, as the customer, I come to the table not expecting to hammer you on price because I can really, I come to the table knowing that there's a value that you provide other than being the cheapest. Well, we get into that too. Actually, I, I neglected the last part of this whole part was our process and pricing. So we start with the needs assessment and jointly develop a scope of work. We bring regulatory and manufacturing expertise to bear. We then identify engineering services required, such as tooling, lab testing, package design and validation, sterilization validation, PFMEA, and equipment, IQ, OQ, PQ. I assume these are medical device terms people know. Uh, a typical range of expense is 25K to 100K, depending on the scope of work. So immediately you get anchored with this is how much it's going to cost. So whether you know if it's your budget or not. Um, we submit a proposal that includes both engineering services and unit pricing for the volume tiers you request. Once you agree to the program, we receive a 50% deposit and hold a kickoff meeting to introduce you to your dedicated team of engineering, quality, supply chain, and manufacturing experts. Uh, then we execute to a project plan that you approve and establish the cadence of collaboration that meets your needs. And our executive team reviews the progress of your project weekly and assigns resources to address issues that you that uh, issues as they arise. Excuse me. So you get a complete window into what you're getting into before you even work with us, work with them in the first place. And that gives, again, a lot of confidence. And it also means that when people convert for this client, they're almost assuredly going to be exceptionally good fits because they're going to know this prior. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about social proof and um, just just this concept of proof generally. Um, it, it really helps to prove it, right? So even if you're going to say something like productivity, you got to prove it by either being super specific, yeah. by um, using a stat like 45 minutes or 15,000 machine shops, by using a testimonial, by using customer logos, or by elaborating on a very specific process. Like, yeah. I believe that they're going to deliver on the value prop because otherwise they wouldn't have that Fair process, way. right? Yeah, like that. yeah. I, I remember having this battle when I was at Binzel about like, we should be super freaking transparent about how we make our consumables so people can know that they're better. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of pushback from engineering about this because they, did, they thought it was going to be... It, um, exposing our IP. And I'm like, we can, we should get as close to that line as possible um, and tell people how we do it. And so I was able to do that um, with some of the stuff that we did. I talked about how we used um, like a cold drilling process as opposed to like you making it with a mandrel or something like that. And I got to that line pretty close and it was pretty effective overall. But I do think like getting super specific about your process and how you differentiate is exactly what makes you stand out in the first place. And so just having this this nakedness about how you discuss your company and how you work with your ideal fit clients um, it gives you a lot of advantage. It also makes, frankly, your marketing efforts work a lot better because people know exactly who you are and they're not, there really isn't, isn't really a lot of question about it. And then at that point, it's how can we amplify this point of view how, how can we turn our service and product into a point of view worth amplifying to basically make who we're competing against irrelevant? Yeah. And when it comes to proof generally, um, I think the most uh, used version of proof, some might even say overused in industrial is going to be a customer quote. Oftentimes without, you know, it's either an anonymous quote or um, you know, it, it provides like the industry in general, vague, like parameters about the customer. So it's, it's, yeah. it's slightly harder to believe. Right. And, um, everybody's got a customer quote somewhere on their website and customer quotes are great, but like, I've almost come to the point in industrial where I'm like, you need a customer quote and another form of proof because mm. everyone's got the customer quote. So like show the process, 
get a logo or a real case study, be hyper specific, like, and then tie the, the ribbon on top with the customer quote. Don't rely on just the customer quote to get you over the finish line. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that as well. The customer quote has, has become um, not as compelling as it used to be. I think people have tend to they fudge it a little bit or they just they grasp at straws. Uh, they, they get one or two. And then they just use it all the time. And so there's just not enough differentiation. I think that's a whole other topic about industrial companies. Like, we let's just get two or three case studies, then we never have to worry about them again, where it's like, no, you should be like really looking to get, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 and categorizing it uh, around objections and processes and solutions (laughs) that you provide. But that's a whole other sort of content matrix to tackle. But yeah, I, I think you need to have like a longer form piece of social proof, like, well, I mean, you, you guys run a lot of paid ads at Refine. I run a lot of paid ads at Gorilla. I know for a fact my case studies for my clients perform better than almost anything else that I distribute by a wide margin. Yep, totally. Case studies, um, case studies and product marketing ads consistently the best performing in yeah. way better than top funnel blogs. Like totally. way, way better. Like it's a huge night and day difference. Um, you're talking about like a 0.2, click through rate compared to like, I have one client I'm doing it for. They have a four and a half percent click through rate on LinkedIn yeah. running this. So just good. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Cool. Well, hopefully this was helpful, right? We tried to lay out some specific actions you can take to rescue your industrial messaging. I'll just wrap up with this final point, um, which is it takes a long time to get from the, the messaging on the original industrial fire suppression page that I read off at the beginning of the episode to the machining specific copy, right? Oh, there's a lot of foundational work that goes into that, which is why I think it's important to do the foundational work and then execute in a lot of places because it's not just the copy, right? You get value from that foundational product marketing work everywhere, but don't forget to execute when it comes to copy because it can make a huge difference. Um, the business case for converting more of your web traffic is probably a lot stronger than the business case for generating more web traffic. Yeah. And the other thing is like, once people get to your website, copy is what moves them to the next point you want them. You is the next point you want them to go. Copy, copy is what does that. Not the, not the, not the pretty picture, not the CTA. Um, it's your copy. Like copy is copy is what moves people. Like the words you use matter. I just constantly keep coming back to that. Um, so hopefully this episode gave you all some ideas or will uh, will compel you to look at your copy on your website in a more um, more scrutinized manner. But hopefully this was helpful for you all. All right, let's wrap. Um, you can catch the industrial marketing show on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Please subscribe to Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a five-star review. Just takes a second. We appreciate it a lot. Written review, even better. I'll like give you a virtual hug for a, a written review. Have any questions or comments, uh, hit up MJ or myself on LinkedIn. I've been getting a couple comments recently on LinkedIn, MJ, and I got to tell you, like they just warm my heart. So the people who do drop and tell us how much we got one about our Google Analytics episode recently, and I was like, that was such nice feedback to get. I really appreciated that. So if you if you... If you listen to an episode and you like it, um, you know, dropping us a line just like it's awesome. Like we really, really appreciate that a lot. Um, with that, uh, we'll have more episodes to come and some guests as well. We're lining up, so we're excited about that. Uh, in the meantime, I am Matt and I'm MJ. And thank you all so much for listening. Once again, have a great rest of your week. Appreciate y'all.